Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The future's a mystery, but what's new in history? Hello, guys. We're here with a new episode of What's New in History?, and it's a collaboration with Gil from a podcast of Biblical Proportions. And honestly, I think this particular collaboration came out pretty well. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Before you start to listen, if you would do me a favor, and if you haven't already, like the podcast, rate the podcast, that kind of thing. I really like to grow it. But um, also enjoy it and enjoy this episode. Thanks. And here we are. Hello, Gil. Hi, Bernie. How are you? How are you, Gil? You are recording from Spain today, I believe, aren't you? Yes, I'm in Spain currently. I'm doing better. Things were a little bit uh, all over the place. And if you hear some uh, muttering in the background, that's because uh, Barcelona on a Saturday is a busy place. Oh, amazing. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's beautiful. Well, I am Bernie, recording from Scranton, Pennsylvania, and with Gil, recording from Barcelona, Spain. Boom. Which is awesome. The world of podcasting is amazing. And I appreciate, I have to say in the beginning, first of all, check both of our podcasts out. Check out Gills, which is the history, I'm sorry, which is a podcast of biblical proportions. And mine is called Fan of History. And we have this. Uh, and you also have the What's New in History. That's correct. So this is considered a What's New in History episode. And what we do is normally find new articles and studies that are going on in history. Which today's article that we're using as our launching point, that's the best to describe yeah, it, right? Yeah, we take yeah, an article yeah. and use it as a launching point. Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? And this article is called, In a First, Archaeologists Extract DNA of Ancient Israelites. And it's written by Ariel David, on, and it's a new article of October 9th, 2023. I will post the article in my show notes. So new DNA research about ancient Israelites. Correct. Very interesting. And so... Because it's a very controversial topic. And it's a very timely controversial topic, I would think, as well. <laughs> it's always timely. <laughs> it, yes, it is true. There's something about this area of the world that just, it's constantly a... It's a 
It's a small area, but it's always a lot of stuff happens. Sorry, and it's very sorry, pivotable. sorry. That's not your fault. <laughs> I'm sure, like we were, we're talking, we're fine from DNA evidence. We're all we're all related, really. Actually, we all came from a tiny little piece of life that you know became a cell, and we're all part of that. Yeah. So we're all and we come you know, from the stars. Really we're not even locals. Huh? It's true. Okay. We do all come from the stars. So. Um, What's interesting about this particular DNA study is they were able to extract genetic material from, it's only two individuals, which is, uh, you know, it's a small uh, sampling, obviously, but it's, they could be pretty sure that they are um, Israelites from this period because the which period? site is Did we about, say We didn't say which period. Oh, well, I'm going to tell you. Huh? It's from this period, which is um, 650 to, I should say, 750 to 650 BC, which is like the heart of the... Iron Age, the Israel period. It's the um, it's the end of the Assyrian first temple period. Times. The first, yeah, the first temple period and the end of Assyrian times. Right. So they've had DNA and such from a little bit older, and you know, of course, we have modern DNA. But this was a this was a um, just not something that the archaeologists and DNA studies have had. And the the tomb that they dug up was from. It's only fifteen kilometers from Jerusalem. Mm. So they could tell that it's you know they put the the dating of it around six fifty. It's so funny when I go backwards, yeah. but it's seven fifty to seven fifty BC, which is also an interesting time in b- biblical chronology because, um, as a lot of us would know, that the first temple was destroyed in five eighty six BC, and then many of the uh, Israelite, that they were Judahites at the time, were sent to Babylonia. And prior to this, um, around 721 BC, was when the northern town, the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed, mm. and a lot of the northerners would have, well, a lot of them were taken away, and then a lot of other ones would have moved um, into Judah, which is where Jerusalem is, and so right, it's just to the south. So basically, like this DNA research is part of the, the search of the origins of. Israel, right? Who are the Israelites, basically? Yes. Because they have become very important in history because of uh, the stories that they wrote. But they were, other than that, not very different from their neighbors, that we know almost nothing about. The Moabites, the Yebusites, the Edomites, who the hell are those guys? (laughs) But the Israelites are very interesting and because of what happened later, because of the Bible. So you want to give right. us a little bit of, a, of an overview of what uh, are the different possibilities that uh, archaeologists give us about the origins of Israel? Yeah. And so there's basically like three schools of archaeology. And the first school would be the conservative school. In my opinion, they, they're they more of the religious type people. It's not mm-hmm. like they're conservative. Like they don't want to change. They use that. They're more of the – they're more believers, let's say. Mm-hmm. Whereas – you don't find a lot of people in Greece digging to look for Zeus. You will find some people, or you had anyway. One of the famous ones was William Albright, who was a genius, by the way. But he also believed in a lot of the biblical narrative. So what he would find, and he would try to shoehorn it into the biblical narrative, which is that the um, there were some patriarchs that came from Mesopotamia. That would be Abraham. And then there was, you know, had Genesis, and then you have a flood and then people are imprisoned in Egypt, and then they, there's an exodus, and then they destroy Canaan. 
and conquer the land. So, so they were trying to find archaeological evidence for the stories in the Bible, basically, even though there is no evidence for any conquest. That is correct. And then later on in the 1800s and the early 1900s too, you would have some these minimalists and they're still around today and they don't believe anything in the Bible was even written before Persian times, which is after the first temple, which is after the first temple is destroyed. And then in between, which would be basically somebody in between, they call them centrists. And one of the, one of the more famous um, Archaeologist would be Israel Finkelstein. He'd be he considers himself in the centrist camp, right? And like his main uh, thesis, which is now widely accepted, is that the Israelites were local Canaanites or whatever they called themselves, like a local people, and then slowly coalesced into a people called Israel, the people Correct. of Israel. They were locals, and that they didn't come from the outside and cross the Jordan River and conquered the land like the stories say. Right. Of course, Israel Finkelstein does you know, great work, and I agree with, with what he's saying, and also a little bit with the, with the minimalists that you, that you mentioned. But I think that if we look at the biblical narrative as it is presented to us today, in the order of the stories as they are presented as one after the other, then we are missing out on the history in the stories, because uh, scholars have known for a long time that the Bible wasn't written like you write a regular book, one page one, page two, page three, <laughs> page four, and no, it's right. several writers, many, many writers uh, over a long span of time, and then they were connected in editing. And the editing is what creates the, the biblical chronology. And the biblical chronology is an editing job. And, and then, of course, it clashes with history and with reality, with what we know, because it's a later editing job. So I think that if we look at the stories individually, as they were written with a beginning, a middle, and an end for each story, and then we put them alongside history, they not only not clash, but they complement each other. The stories mm -hmm. add, they add information that the historical account and the, the archaeological record cannot give us because you know, stories have emotions, they have motifs, they have theology, they have like human life in them. Right. So I think that if we put what we know for sure is true in history and then we look at the stories individually and put them together where they fit, then I think that they add historical knowledge. I agree. So the topic today is, is um, Israel's origins, ancient mm -hmm. Israel, I should say, is origins, because Israel has a new origin story to begin in the 1940s. So when we, when we talk about if you Google it, you definitely have to look up ancient Israel yeah. origins. So a big part of ancient Israel's origins, let's say after the so-called flood, would be the exodus from Israel and then the conquest of Canaan. Yeah, the exodus from Egypt, yeah. Which is a hot topic in archaeology and in stories. And there is literally zero evidence that the Hebrews were slaves or captive in Egypt and that there was an exodus and that there was a conquest, as the biblical narrative says. There's literally zero evidence for that. But if we look at stories as stories that are trying to 
describe reality, you know, in a more fantastic sense, like we have today with superhero stories and sci-fi stories. They don't reveal anything about the future, you know, the time that, the time that they are set in, the year 5000. No, they reveal something about the time that they were made, the movies. So it's the same for, for the stories. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Right. So let's talk about history. Let's talk about a big, big event that we know happened in history. Maybe the greatest event in Hebrew history, and that's the return to Zion. This is the, the, mm. the release from the Babylonian captivity, freedom from Babylonia, returning to Judea, and rebuilding Jerusalem, and rebuilding the temple. And how did they get into Judea? They came from the east, Babylon is in the east, and they crossed the Jordan River, and then they had to deal with the local people. I don't know what happened there. And then they rebuilt Jerusalem, rebuilt the temple, like 20, 30 years after they came in. So it wasn't an easy process. So that's the history. And we're talking like the 500s BC now, way after the original exactly. supposed origin. Exactly. This okay. is the 538 BCE, and then the first temple was rebuilt, I think, 516 BCE or something like that. So it okay. took some time. So this is history, what history tells us. A momentous, momentous event that is recorded in the Bible in many, many songs that say, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. So if this is such a momentous event, maybe there is a story that the Hebrews wrote to commemorate this event, a story about them mm. leaving captivity and going back to their ancestral homeland and entering their ancestral homeland by crossing the Jordan River from the east. Is there a story in the Bible that goes along these lines? Yes, there is. 
This is the Exodus. The Exodus is about a captivity in Egypt. And then when they, go, when they go back to their ancestral homeland, instead of going straight up north, because Judea is right to the north of Egypt, they have to come in like in real life. In the stories, the stories have to mirror real life. So they have to come in from the Jordan River from the east. So they have to go around in the stories mm-hmm. in Exodus. They go around the land, and they come in from the east. So this is a story that is meant to commemorate this momentous event. Uh, this is one example. The story of Exodus is? Yeah, the story of Exodus is, I think, and I talk about it on my podcast, commemorates the return to Zion. The return to Zion was an unbelievable moment for the Hebrews, a moment of, yeah. of salvation. Obviously, they wrote stories about them, about that return. Where are these stories? Some of them can be found in the book of Exodus. Not all of them about that, but... And there's another example. For example, uh, after the destruction of uh, Judea and Jerusalem by the Babylonians that we mentioned in 586 BCE, so a lot of people were taken to captivity, but most people stayed. After a few years, they fled to Egypt because they feared that the Babylonians would return and kill them and take them to captivity. This is... uh, uh, documented in the book of Jeremiah as history. It's not contested that it's history. And they immigrated to Egypt. And we know that in Egypt there was a prosperous Hebrew community for centuries. Right. So this to is. To this day, really. And yeah, to this day now it's uh, not as prosperous. Not as but like in Hellenistic, ta- yeah. in Hellenistic <laughs> times, you know, the, the, the Jews of Alexandria, that was a thing. And they were the most prosperous Hebrew community in the world. They were much, you know, more advanced than uh, Hebrews in Judea. So maybe they wrote a story about their immigration to Egypt and their success in Egypt. So so is there a biblical story about Hebrews fleeing their land because of a disaster, fleeing their land to Egypt— and then in Egypt coming together and succeeding and reconciling and prospering. Is there a story in the Bible that goes along, uh, along those lines? Yes, there is. That's the story of Joseph. story of Joseph, oh. the disaster is hunger. And then they go to Egypt. They reconcile in Egypt. And they succeed in Egypt. That's the story of Joseph. So if you look at the stories, as they are written, with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you look to history to see where they fit, you will find that it fits somewhere, because no story is fake or disconnected completely from reality. We just don't know Mm -hmm. what the reality that birthed it is. But if we look for it, Story. I believe I thought you said in your podcast that some of these stories like, say, for example, Exodus, that there was maybe there was an older part of the story and then it was changed after the Babylonian conquest. During the Babylonian, I believe that during the Babylonian captivity, they wrote the first stories of Exodus uh, and they portrayed the Babylonian captivity. Egypt was the Babylonia, the evil Babylonia. So that story didn't have an exodus. 
because there was no exodus, right? They were captive. <laughs> and in that layer of exodus, what the Hebrews want is not to go back to their land. What they ask the Pharaoh, what Moses asks the Pharaoh is, let my people go to the desert so we can worship Yahweh in the desert. That's what he says, Moses says to the Pharaoh over and over again. Let my people go to the desert. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not the, go away, just, no, just no, for no. a little while. Just yeah, give yeah. us a little break. To worship in the desert, because that was like the extent of uh, whatever, of their freedom, their imagined freedom that they wanted to portray in the story. Then, 50 years later, when there was an exodus, then they wrote a second version that, was, okay. that ends with an exodus. And then, hundreds of years later, those, all of the stories were combined into one, and this is why some stories clash with others, and one story is written in one style, and the other is written in another style, and one story doesn't know what just happened in the story before it, because... It's not part of the same story. It's just somebody. It's not like they had a book and then they could go onto the book on a Google Doc and it's, let's edit this Google Doc that's already exactly. there. Somebody exactly. doesn't have the other Google Doc that already had that other information in it. <laughs> but as far as you're concerned, though, you think that that the the story of Exodus was started during the captivity in Babylonia, and then didn't finish, and then when they left. Then they finished the Exodus, and then also was complete was sort of added another add-on in like the 100s BC. Yes, in Maccabean times. But that there was not some Exodus story written 1200 BC, or even well, that'd be kind of silly because there was no writing. But let's just say there was writing in 1000 BC in Israel and in Judah. But there wasn't, as far as you would know, I think there's not wasn't an Exodus story that was running around, as far as we know. Not a book of Exodus anyway. Yeah, because there was no Exodus. Like, people write about things that they see and experience in their lives, right? You don't write about something that you have no connection to and doesn't speak to you. And if you do write it, it doesn't resonate and these stories doesn't stick, right? The stories that stick are the stories that resonate with us. Right. And to resonate with us, they have to be real. So according to how we feel reality now. So a story, so a movie in the 80s is different than a movie in the 2020s, in the 2020s, right? Because right. now different things resonate with us. Even if they're both movies are written about the like American Revolution, if you were to do a movie about the American Revolution in 1980, it's different than a movie about the American Revolution in 2020. Yes. Yes. Or if in like a lot of times you'll see like things that happen in the 70s. Like this is a good example. So um, archaeologists and historians in the 70s, 1970s, a lot of them thought that, this, that the story of ancient Israel was kind of like a Marxist type of thing where, uh. you know, um, the people <laughs> revolted against the – they revolted against their overlords and moved into the hills and became Israelites. Because that was popular in the 70s to think that. So if you were to write a movie in the 70s about the Exodus you, or about this, you may do it like that. So the same thing in these old stories. You have to look at the story based yeah. on the time it was written, even yeah. if it was written about a time 500 years in the past. Exactly. But stories are symbolic. Because, as I, uh, uh, for example, if I would do what uh, these Marxist archaeologists did, I would say that let's focus on the reason that they had to move to Egypt in the first place. In, in Genesis, there was hunger. Ah, this is climate. Right. It's climate change. 
Oh, right. <laughs> right, shoehorn right. shoe, shoe inside climate change. Everything yes. is the cause of climate change. But it misses the point because the hunger is symbolic for a disaster that pushes the, the Hebrews to go to Egypt. And the actual disaster that actually pushed Hebrews from their land to Egypt is the Babylonian destruction of Judea and the threat that they would return. This is something that actually happened in, in history. And they wrote stories about that. Of course, people write stories about the greatest uh, and most important events of their lives. This is like in the 80s, you write about the Cold War, whether you write a spy novel or a sci-fi novel or even uh, a fantasy novel. Right. And if in the 30s, you write about whatever is going on in the 30s. And in the 2030s, they would write about whatever would be going on in the 2030s. Right. So, so this is the same. We have to look at the important events and then find corresponding stories. And once we see that there is a match, the closer we look, the more of a match it will be. Everything will match. Because it's meant to match, right? When you write a story about, uh, for example, the fall of the Berlin Wall, you want to put many, many elements that are relevant to the fall of the Berlin Wall into your story. Whether even right. if you said it in Mars or in Westeros. Oh, right, or in Westeros. That's right. So that's, this story is a, is a major story in world history of this, you know, exodus from Egypt, which, I, you know, historians and Bible studies and history buffs like us and our listeners, I think, you know, we could, you know, understand the nuances of it. But, you know, in the global world, there's a lot of people, I think, who just think, you know, they will go by what's in the Bible that was... I mean, I know intelligent people that I work with who would, who are, you know, true believers in that what's written in the Bible is legitimate, like it's true. So that would mean that, you know, the biblical narrative is that or something like 1800 B.C. was Abraham, and then, you know, the Exodus is what, around 1200 B.C., 1100 B.C., something like that. And, you know, then they destroyed everybody in Canaan, right? Even though they didn't. Even though they are Canaanites they afterwards, it, right. like every people right. that they kill in the in the book of Joshua is still there later. <laughs> okay, in right. other stories that don't know that they were killed in the previous stories. <laughs> right. So I mean, if that was true, if all those stories were true, and the archaeology and the DNA would show that there was probably you know like destruction layers from this certain time, you know, however long it took Joshua and his armies to destroy all these cities, Jericho, I, and do all these horrible things that they did to people there. Very Assyrian they were. By the way, by the way, so speaking of Joshua, we spoke about the return to Zion from Babylonia, right? And they crossed, yeah, crossing the, Jordan the river. river. They, may, they crossed the river and they may have been... People didn't want them to cross the river. Yeah, and, and we know that it took 30 years for them to rebuild the temple. I'm guessing it's not by choice. If there was just like if the land was empty, they would have rebuilt their temple the next day. So I'm guessing yeah. that it took some time and that yeah. there were some problems. So what was the name of the head of this expedition, the religious head of this expedition of the return to Zion? from Babylonia slash Persia, crossing the river, and he was the first high priest when Jerusalem was indeed rebuilt and the temple was rebuilt. His name was 
Yeshua, translated in English as Joshua. Okay. And later he changed his name to Joshua, Yehoshua. So uh, yeah. I know that seems like a good lead. Let's, I, right. I, you know, I'm not there uh, right. in my podcast. I'm, I'm in the book of Exodus. But if I would now have the time to look into parallels of what the real Joshua did, the high priest Joshua, and the Joshua in the stories, I am positive that I will find some stories, not all of them, because some of them were written by other people. Some of them will match. Uh-huh. Will make sense and will add historical information about the return to Zion. Because we don't know exactly what happened in those 30-somewhat years from when they crossed the river until they rebuilt uh, the temple on a mountain. Yeah. Okay. So maybe some of the conflicts in the stories of Joshua are symbolic stories about the conflicts that they had until they were able to rebuild their temple. Make sense? Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a real good way to look at it. I hope some of those conflicts didn't involve people being staked on poles but through, you know, impaled. No. <laughs> I think that all the very, very violent and gory stories in the book of Joshua, that was written by the Maccabees in Maccabean times because they were very, oh, yeah, very violent. Said. And they also conquered the same area, the same area that, uh, that you see in the book of Joshua. That was the area that the Maccabees did most of the fighting. Okay. Yeah. Both sides of the Jordan River in the in this along that same strip. So that also matches. I was really interested when I heard that on your podcast cuz I had always thought that they had stolen it from what the Assyrians did in Israel or in Judah, I should say, when Sennacherib came in and 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 seized Jerusalem in the around 700 cuz right. he went on and destroyed right. a bunch of cities and put a bunch of peoples on poles. I'll tell you what so, I think the difference is is that when you are the receiving end, on the receiving end <laughs> of polls, <laughs> you write about it differently than if you are putting other people on polls. Right? Yeah. Like the Assyrians, they are celebrating putting people on polls. Right. The Maccabees, the same thing. The same thing. Yeah. But when the Hebrews, uh, you know, when they got destroyed by the Babylonians, then they are crying along the rivers of Babylon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a I agree with you. You know, right? I definitely, uh, you definitely changed my opinion when I really, because I, I kind of thought it was like a guy gets in a fight at a bar and he's like, you should have seen what I did to those guys. <laughs> when it's really those guys that did it to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like it. And no, not like the Assyrians were reading it, but like, hey, what do you mean? That was us to put you on pause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that you're onto something. I think that, that the version of that is, for example, and you know a little bit about that because you did some research into that, uh, the 701 siege of Jerusalem by the Assyrians, right? Mm-hmm. And then the Assyrians said, we laid a siege, and then uh, they gave us money, and we left. And yeah. the Hebrew version along the lines of what you said, you should have seen what we did to the other guy. That was, oh, <laughs> Yahweh God killed them and did you know, a plague. Yeah. They couldn't even yeah. imagine in their fantasies that they beat the Assyrian army right in battle, <laughs> right? Their like, fantasy was just God killed them in their sleep. That's the, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> they won't, right. They don't even make up that they beat this army of a million people. It was God that it, absolutely. Yeah, because no one will believe 
No one will even they <laughs> no will one will even believe that. Yes, exactly. God, angels of death. Yes, angels of death. Okay, okay, I can see that. <laughs> That's a really good way to look at it. Uh, do you want to go back to the article? Now I'm uh, curious to know what well, yeah. were the results of the of the DNA. Yeah. Like what what information does DNA evidence add to the origins of Israel? Well, so that's good. I'm glad you asked me that. So if if the DNA said that, you know, these these people were – that we assume are, you know, Hebrews, that they're Israelites, if they had come from Egypt or somewhere else, then they would have – they wouldn't have the same DNA as Canaanites would have, right? Right. And so I, I, this is really interesting, I thought. So DNA, I guess, is hard to get from bones, Normally, and this particular study only has two individuals, so it is a small study. Mm-hmm. But they actually had found ten skeletons all mishmashed in this. But they were able to use two of them, and the reason that they could is because there's it's a bone called the petreous bone. It's located on a part of the skull behind your ear, and there's a much higher concentration of DNA than in other bones. So mm-hmm. these they got these parts from these two individuals, and. Um, We have DNA from ancient Canaanites, right? Like before this so-called Israel Israelite period, and we have their DNA, and they're kind of a mishmash. They, you know, just a high overview. They are, come from Anatolian farmers, and um, they come from some Mesopotamian and some Arabian. It's a mix, a mishmash there, mm-hmm. and so because this is an area where people pass through ancient that's Israel, right. right? They go whichever way they like. Yeah. Right, so like you know Israel ancient Israel's been been you know have villages and basically pr- even proto civilizations from like twenty thousand years ago, you know we have these Natufians wow. that were farming in Israel, you know, like they say well maybe they weren't farming, Shout but out. they found a hundred thousand seeds, so I, they were doing ah. some with those seeds, <laughs> you know, yeah, they may yeah. not have been farming per se, but they were growing stuff. So this, you know, and if I took some DNA from them, it would be different than another period, than another period, than if I went from today. Just like we said, like, if we took from from Gil, you know, he's going he's gonna to have certain DNA, but it's going to be a little different. There's could be, you know, more Asian, African, you know, Europe, different European areas. Yeah. So anyway, the DNA drumroll found from these okay. two people as of now, right? And this, this is going to be more expanded upon. There was actually going to be presented at a conference, but because of the this stuff going on now in Israel, they, yeah. it's canceled. And they have the other 10 bodies. But again, drumroll is they're Canaanites. <laughs> uh, <laughs> basically, yeah. Basically, it's the same mix. These two have the same kind of mix you would expect to find. So the Israelites are Canaanites. Canaanites. Pretty exactly. much. It makes sense. Like the, uh, the identity of being an Israelite is a social construct, like within the, this mix of uh, Canaanite people. Some of them describe themselves as Arameans because of their language, right, and their traditions right. or whatever it is. And the Israelites, they said, oh, we're Israelites. My dad was an Israelite, and they spoke a slightly different language. They had a slightly different script. There is no other way for it to go if there is zero evidence of conquest and people coming from the outside. There is no magic that will come in here right. and make the biblical narrative uh, fit history because it, doesn't, it isn't meant to fit history. It cannot fit history. The biblical narrative is an editing job created by humans. You know, genetics is something that happens across generations and generations, and you right. can't lie about it. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> right. And that's, and that's separate from culture. Right, exactly. I mean, because a culture, it's like genetics. Like I, we say, like I live in the U.S. and this whole world has become, you know, mixed. So I'm, I'm like my ancestry is my father's Polish and my mother's Italian. I don't speak Polish or Italian. My my ancestor's George Washington. You know, my ancestors is British law. I, you know, I speak English. I know English words. That's my native language. So I'm kind of like English, but I'm no, no. You were to do my DNA, you weren't going to find any English in me. A, a, amazing example. Your ancestor is George Washington, even though your actual ancestors came in way, way, way after George Washington, and they have a completely different stories of of why they came. Right, <laughs> right. But I don't know Polish history and Italian, and I'm a his, I study history, so I know more than average people. You know, people that right. I, other Italian Americans and Polish Americans like myself, mishmashes. We don't, you know, our ancestors George Washington, right. Who's a British yeah. guy? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, right, right. so exactly. Fantastic. Our DNA wouldn't match. So your cultural ancestor is George Washington. I feel that my cultural ancestors are not Moses or Abraham, but the people who wrote the stories of the Bible. Definitely, I feel that they are my ancestors, whether we are connected genetically or not. We solved it. We solve a lot of problems on here. Did we solve Christianity yeah. recently? I mean, we got it off. <laughs> I thought we solved it, but then I looked outside the window and people act like it wasn't solved already. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, come on. We talked about it on the podcast. <laughs> we got to get more people. Listen, tell your friends. We'll save the world. <laughs> exactly. So, so we should look at the, at the biblical narrative as culture. If you connect to it as part of your culture, fantastic. Right. That's separate from uh, archaeology and DNA and history. Right. And it's more fun to read it when you don't try to make something work that you kind of know doesn't work. You know, if you don't, don't think your Bible's lying to you just because that the, that the Israelites didn't come from Egypt and do that. I mean, the moral stories it's trying to tell you is what that's what it is. It's not because, you know, you don't find what's in there. doesn't mean you have to think your Bible's lying to you or we're bashing the Bible. For me... I think that the Bible is opposite than lying to you. It's telling you the perfect truth in story form. Yes. 
Some of them you have historical accounts and you have songs, but these stories, they tell you just like any story is telling you something real about the writer, about the world. It's the same with the Bible. And it adds a lot of new information that we don't have access to from just looking at DNA or looking at, you know, a, a cup. Yes. Right. <laughs> from right. 1000 BCE. Okay, a cup. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I, want to, uh, I want to know what the person uh, 2,500 years right. ago, what they were feeling, what made them scared, what made them hopeful. I don't know. This is what I find most interesting. You can find that in the Bible because there is no other way to write a text, a story, than by putting mm -hmm. your soul in it. Figurative. And if any of you guys are listening to, you know, on this, on my feed, on what's new in history, fan of history, I highly, if you're interested in what Gil just said, that's his podcast. I mean, it's fantastic. I listen to every episode. It's the, a podcast of biblical proportions. Thank you. I think this is the first time, and I'm saying it every time, but <laughs> I think this time I mean it. <laughs> The first time that I won't have to do that much editing later, because I think I was a, like more coherent than usual. For for like my audience, they don't know how incoherent I ha I am because I correct it all in editing. But I think that now I did, uh, did. an okay job. And you could edit it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will exactly. I will edit it then. If I did a good job, then I can edit. <laughs> but but for the audience, I want to say I always edit it. I, it's not that like I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm giving you the dirty work. I'm doing the dirty work because usually I am the one that mess up. You don't need all that correcting in uh, post production. I've learned because I'm not so good at it, and it causes me great anxiety when I have to make major edits. So when I'm recording, I'm like I'm live, and I have to be real careful. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. Okay, okay. So uh, you want to sum it up uh, for us, uh, Bernie? Like what archaeology says, and what the, and how it fits with the DNA. Yeah. So yeah. So to recap this, we we're covering this article where we we you know we finally have some DNA from ancient Israelites from the first temple period and the heart of the Iron Age, which is from 750 to 650 BC. There's some DNA that was extracted from right near Jerusalem. So we can use that to say the biblical stories for the traditionalists, the hardcore conservative traditionalists who would say, you know, in sometime around 1100, 1200 BC, some uh, people were captive in Egypt and they were the Israelites and they came out of Israel and destroyed the people living there, killed them all and moved in. That's the biblical narrative. And if that was to be true, then we would see no Canaanites, you know, in the DNA. But our DNA shows that the ancient Israelites were more like what archaeologists say today, which was a mishmash of people living in this area known as the Levant, which is in the eastern Mediterranean. It has a very rich history. It was conquered by many empires and colonized by people through the centuries they became Canaanites, they became Israelites, and you know what? I have a nice little summary here. They also became, some of them became Phoenicians. They did, they, they were Phoenicians, right. The ancient Canaanites are, you know, were Phoenicians too, exactly. They were Phoenicians. Yeah. The one thing that was different, and it's sort of like we're summing up in the end, the Philistines were 
were not Israelites or Canaanites. They were settled there. They're probably Greeks. I was doing a little research, extra research right before, and I have this quote from a I'll, I'll, I'm just not sure where I found it, but it's really well good. Two sentences here. I think it sums up. It says, the Israelite religion itself went through an evolutionary process, beginning with the fusion of the Canaanite god El with the desert god Yahweh and evolving into the assertion that Yahweh slash El alone could be worshipped by the Israelites. The rejection of traditional Canaanite religion resulted in the development of a religious mythology in which the Israelites were never part of a Canaanite culture and the Canaanite gods were enemies of Yahweh slash El rather than members of the assembly of gods with El as their chief. Right? I think that kind of sums it up. I second that, and I think that this line of thinking became the norm during the return to Zion when they came from the outside, Uh. believing that Yahweh had freed them, and the gods of the local peoples there were the enemies. Right. And now they came, they actually came from the outside. 40,000 Hebrews left Babylonia, walked, and they have a different religion, and they only worship one god, and they deny the existence of all other gods. It wasn't that way before that. Right, it wasn't. They, even when there's factions there that was, they may have only worshipped Yahweh, but doesn't mean that there was no other gods. And by the time this generation of Hebrews came from Babylonia... And, you know, we're talking, it's maybe only 50 years, but that's a couple generations. That's like your grandmother. Yeah. So you come back, and all those people like my grandmother's days, they used to believe in other gods, yeah, but we don't yeah. We do not do that. And this is where this whole thing came about. And they didn't see what, what we saw. We saw Yahweh save us from Babylonia. You know, yeah. something happens, people change their minds. This is, And that was the Yahweh faction probably that got sent to Babylonia yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, <laughs> you know. Exactly. Because the 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 different faction went to Egypt, so now you just yeah. had who's ever left there, probably just simple farmers, and then you know the, the priests come back. Yeah, crazy priests who, who felt vindicated. Suddenly felt vindicated after they got beat up. Their their grandparents got beat up by the Babylonians, right? And now they right. feel vindicated. No, Yahweh didn't abandon us. He saved us. Right. Just sucked if you're in the middle there. <laughs> 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 if you missed out on on knowing and seeing yeah. Yahweh saving you, that's harsh. Well, anyway, with that, we could start a whole other podcast yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, like I okay. said before, if you're interested in that, Gil covers a lot of this in his podcast every time he publishes. And same here. If you're looking to uh, for new researchers about researchers, researchers? Yeah, I think that's good. New research. research. No, new research. You don't need yeah. to uh, want, yeah. Mm-hmm. New research about history. There's always something new in history, which is a fantastic is. Uh, concept. And also within your fan mm-hmm. of history, you're going through chronologically through history and you're now in Persian times, correct? Uh, we're getting there. We have Cyrus the Great. We just finished. We just uh, finished recording the 550s BC, okay. and so we're moving. Going to be moving into the 540s BC, but we just finished recording the 550s BC. Okay, okay, okay. So uh, it's been a blast, Bernie, as usual. It has been a blast. That with that, Bernie out. Cheers.